0: The New York Mets finally played all of the baby Mets at once, and they won big. Should this have happened sooner in the season? I'll discuss that more on today's edition Locked On Mets. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, we get to talk about the first game that featured all four of the Mets' top rookies in the starting lineup at once, which ended, of course with the Mets blowing out the Washington Nationals. I'll go through that game in the first segment. Then in the second segment, I want to talk about if it took too long. Should the Mets have gone to all the rookies at once sooner? We'll get into that a little bit, how the Mets managed their top prospects this season. Then in the final segment, another report linking David Stearns to the New York Mets. Will they be able to get there, man? I'll be talking about it. Before we get to any of it, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment matter more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed by visiting FanDuel.com to get started. Well, for the first time this season, it is uh, September 5th. The New York Mets started all of the baby Mets at once. They started Ronnie Mauricio at second base, Brett Beatty at third, Mark Vientos at DH, and Francisco Alvarez at catcher. And look at the result. They destroyed the Washington Nationals. Granted, it's the Washington Nationals and Patrick Corbin was pitching. But I will tell you this. There's a reason to watch Mets baseball these days because you have this perfect combination of all of these young guys finally getting a chance to play uh, at one time, which is just fun to see, especially when your season's lost. And then you have Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor chasing milestones, even Brandon Nimmo, you know, pushing for maybe a 25 home run season now after he breaks that 20 mark. This is suddenly a team that's enjoyable again. And it starts in the first inning. Pete Alonso drives in the first run with a sacrifice fly. And then Francisco Alvarez, who hasn't homered in a minute, hits his 22nd of the year, a three-run shot, and the Mets are up with four runs early. Now, in the third inning, Francisco Lindor leads things off with his 26th home run of the season. So now four away from getting to that 30 mark. Still has to get those stolen bases up to 30 as well. McNeil and Alonso both get out. Then Mark Vientos drives one, 413 feet, dead central, hits off the top of the wall, ends up with a triple, and then he comes around to score. After Francisco Alvarez draws a walk, he steals second base. Vientos and Alvarez both score on a Brett Beatty base hit. So the Mets drop 7-1 to one as you head into the top of the fourth inning, and then Brandon Nimmo adds another run to it, his first of two home runs in the game. He hit number 21 and number 22, and then Pete Alonso hits his 42nd home run of the year in the fifth inning. Then in the top of the eighth inning, Francisco Alvarez hits a double and is later driven in by Ronnie Mauricio, the last baby Matt who needed a hit for all of them to record hits in the game. And Mauricio also made some nice plays in the field. There was one where Jose Quintana uh, kicked a ball to him perfectly. It was a great ricochet, but it Went pretty high up in the air, and it took a strong throw by Mauricio to get the runner at first. He also took a fly ball or a pop-up out of Pete Alonso's glove down the the foul line, not necessarily advisable to uh, make that play. Could have been a scary collision. It wasn't, though. He showed some athleticism ranging over to make that catch. And Speaking of good defense, Brett Beatty looked exceptional at third base. He ended the game with a backhand play where he looked like Nolan Arenado, took him into foul territory and he put a a perfect strong throw over to Pete Alonso at first base. So we saw good defense, and we saw great offense from all of the young guys. They combined to go 5-for-13 in the game. They scored five runs. They drove in six, double, a triple, a home run, a stolen base, two hit-by-pitches, and a walk. Altogether, it was 8-for-16 when it comes to getting on base. Uh, So half of the time, those guys went up. They got on. Now, Mark Fiantz got hit by two pitches there. uh, But it was a productive night. And again, you still also have the core of your team, the veterans of Lindor, Alonzo, and Nimmo, who accounted for four home runs. And it was just a beautiful game to watch, not to mention Jose Quintana. Dealed again. Seven strong innings, allowed just one run on four hits. Now has an ERA of exactly three through nine starts. And the more you watch him pitch, the more you feel like what he's doing is absolutely repeatable you know here's a guy who had some struggles in his career you know a couple years that were just down after great start to his career in Chicago then an okay beginning with the Cubs and then the end of his Cubs tenure wasn't great and bounced around a little bit last year was a big bounce back season for him and you wondered was it legit well they put up a stat today in the game that you know since uh last season Jose Catana's home run per nine which is at like 0.3 something, is the lowest in Major League Baseball, which means he keeps the ball in the yard. He's just a veteran pitcher that I feel pretty good about. So if you go into next year, if Quintana's your three, I'm getting more and more on board the fact that that would be okay for the Mets. But the story of the game is the baby Mets, and it's seeing them all at once contribute in this big way, and it gives you something to watch. The question is, is this something that could have turned the tide of the season at a different point? Was there a moment in time where the Mets could have leaned into their youth more and had a better outcome for the season? That's what we're going to discuss next. Before we do, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Sales. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and seller at every stage, especially when sellers are using shallow and outdated data. Your organization can overcome these challenges with technology that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to better outcomes like pipeline, higher win rates, and larger deals. This is called deep sales. and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and, and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash locked on. That's linkedin.com slash locked on for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Go to linkedin.com slash locked on to get started. Now, did the Mets mismanage their top prospects this year? Was there a point in time where they could have looked at all that young talent that they had, you know, burgeoning to the surface and just made the decision to convert and be a young baseball team and see if their energy and exuberance could have taken them over the top? There was one moment in time where we thought it was going to happen. And I had to go back into the archives of not only just the Mets season, but my own show logs to see sort of how I felt on it as the season wore on. And remember, there was an infamous episode uh, where I said the Mets would be better off or, or they, they couldn't succeed until they got rid of Tommy Fan. And it was right after this point in time when Mark Vientos came up. And I was also advocating for Daniel Vogel back to get the boot and for the Mets to just lean into the kids. And I had a lot of shows about this around this time. And it goes back to and Mark Vientos got called up, made his debut on May 17th. At the time, the Mets were 20 and 23. They had just gone through a 22-game stretch where they went 6-16. and That's after starting the season 14 and 17. There was really two points in the season where the Mets really lost it. It was the end of April leading into the beginning of May, and then it was June. Those were the two stretches where the Mets just played awful baseball. And if you remember, Vientos comes up, The Mets had lost their first game in their series against the Rays. Vientos started game two at third base. The Mets were trailing 2-0 in the bottom of the seventh, and Mark Vientos hits a two-run homer to tie the game. The Mets' bullpen ends up giving up three runs in the next two innings. But the bottom of the ninth rolls around, the Mets are trailing 5-2. Francisco Alvarez ties the game with a three-run homer. David Robertson gives up a pair of runs in extra innings. Pete Alonso walks it off with a three-run homer. It was a thrilling game. The Mets would go on to win that series against the Rays, although Mark Fientos did not start the final game of that series. Then he did start the opening game against the Guardians in the following series, and the Mets had another thrilling win. That's where the baby Mets uh, you know, nickname started because Francisco Lindor was crediting them after the game, talking about the energy they were bringing to the team. In that game, Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty each homer. The game eventually goes to extras. The Mets were trailing by two in the bottom half of the 10th, Mark Vientos drives in Brett Beatty. Beatty was the ghost runner. Drives him in with a single. Wardo Escobar comes in to pinch run. He steals second base. Daniel Vogelback strikes out. Then Francisco Alvarez ties the game, driving in Escobar with a base hit. Brandon Nimmo gets a hit, and then Francisco Lindor ends up walking the game off. Again, that's where Baby Mets started. My show on May 20th was titled Baby Mets Are Here, and they are here to stay. The Mets would sweep the Guardians to complete a five-game winning streak, one of maybe two they had all year. There was that one, and there was the one uh, right before the All-Star break um, that I can recall. But you go back to that time. The Mets were finally digging themselves out of the first hole that they put themselves into with how they played in that 22-game stretch where they lost 16 games. Ronnie Mauricio was tearing the cover off the ball in Syracuse. That was a moment in time where the Mets could have leaned into that identity. They could have said, this is who we are. For better or for worse, the future is now. We're thinking about this season with these kids, and then that should help the 2024 Mets. Now, devil's advocate to that is that Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty did not perform all season in the opportunities that they got. And Ryan Mauricio alone was not turning the tides of the entire Mets season. And also, in those two games that I just discussed, the Mets' bullpen was terrible in both of those games, which was a huge reason why they struggled this year. I think if you look at a player-by-player basis, you can point to some mismanagement and how these guys were handled. Francisco Alvarez, he sort of set him off to the side because he's been successful. With whatever they did, he has been successful. And his call-up was due to an injury, and he just... Wally pipped Omar Narváez, but you go to Brett Beatty. He got called up early and he got every opportunity to succeed. If you want to quibble with it though, you can say Brett Beatty should have broke camp with the team. And the reason why I think the Mets would have been better if Brett Beatty broke camp is because I think there would have been something about the leash. The Mets could have given Beatty, which they eventually got to anyway, but the acknowledgement of, Hey, you're our third baseman. you, Proved it last year. That's why we called you up first of all the guys. You put in the work in the offseason. You're way better defensively at third base. They could have just, just put him there. And then that would have made Eduardo Escobar a more valuable player to the Mets, too, in the early part of the season. Because I think Escobar's a guy that would have thrived in a, a bench role, and he played bad looking over his shoulder for Beatty. Does that change the season, though? I, I still don't think so. You go to Mark Vientos, how many times have fans had to gripe about Daniel Vogelback being in the lineup over him? And you can look at Vientos' stats for the year and just simply say, yeah, he never performed, and rightfully so. I still believe that the Mets have been mismanaging Mark Vientos because for whatever reason it is, whether it's the defense or anything else, they haven't believed in him as a player. They could have called him up last year. Instead of playing JD Davis in June and seeing what they had before the trade deadline, and then they could have, when they called him up this year and he sparked a couple of really thrilling games and gave the team momentum, they could have just leaned into it and played all three of those guys, Alvarez, Beatty, and Vientos, every single day and let him play through the lumps and see where that took them. At the same time, there was parts of this season where Mark Canna and Tommy Fan were getting at bats that could have gone to Mark Vientos, and they were amazing. So I don't know if that really turns the season. And then you have Ronnie Mauricio, who could have been called up after a great start to the year in April and May. But where was he going to play? And again, that leads right back into the Canna and Fam part of the discussion. And the fact is, if Starling Marte wasn't playing with the bad groin all year and he had just been on the I.L., And you would have had room for those guys, maybe. I don't think anything that the Mets did with these guys could have changed what happened this season. I think you can make your arguments however you want to about each of these players and when they should have been up and how they might have been mismanaged. Oh, You could say, hey, Ronnie Mauricio could have been called up on August 1st after the deadline. The Mets were six and a half games out of the playoff spot then. And maybe with Marisa, there would have been more excitement surrounding the team and the Mets might've played better at the deadline. But maybe the Mets wanted to lose some of those games. I think what has happened this year has ultimately got you into a place where the Mets are heading in the right direction as a franchise, despite an awful season where their farm system got an incredible makeover at the deadline. And I think, we have finally gotten to the point of the year where all these guys should be up and are up. You know, Ronnie Mauricio might not be hitting the ground running as well as he has, if he didn't have his great month in August and triple a. So here he is and he's performing and Brett Beatty, maybe his demotion helped him get his head on straight defensively. He's looked great. And you know, tonight he had a big hit Francisco Alvarez has just been steady Eddie all year. I mean, I say steady Yeti, yet he's been very inconsistent. He's been a very streaky hitter. But the production has been as steady as you can imagine from a rookie. And Marfiantos is starting to look a little bit better. To me, again, this season was pretty much doomed. For whatever reason, this just was not a good team. But now you have a chance to look at all these guys through this final stretch run, and see what you have. I think that is a beautiful thing, and it will create a couple things. One, it gives us much better baseball to watch down the stretch. And two, it's going to give the next president of baseball operations a lot more information he's going to need to make the decisions that he will have to once he takes over the reins. And we have another report that has linked David Stearns to the Mets. I want to discuss that in just a minute before we do Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. Visit FanDuel.com and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. The New York Mets for the Washington Nationals again at 7.05 Eastern Time tonight. Catch every pitch in the Mets' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Mets. Well, we finally have a official report from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic connecting the Mets to David Stearns, and we actually know that there has been conversations now based on the reporting that he did, along with what was it Will Will Salmon, uh, according to the article, David Stearns had. Uh, written to his contract the ability to start talking with other teams after the August 1st trade deadline. So he has been serving this advisory role for the Brewers all year after stepping down at the end of last season, and now he was able to have conversations with other teams, and there's really two teams in the mix. The Mets and the Astros. Seems like there are talks that are quote-unquote down the road, according to Andy Martino between the Mets and Stern, and that, according to Martino, it's way closer than anything ever was with Theo Epstein. But we still don't know exactly where this thing's going to go. They also note in the article that David Stern's wife is from Houston, which I'm sure dates back to his time with the Houston Astros, as I referenced on yesterday's show. If you want to listen to you know, a full segment about why David Stearns would be awesome for the Mets, That's the way I opened the show yesterday as part of the five things that must happen for the Mets to become contenders next year. And the first one, the top priority of all, is getting this guy. However many zeros Steve Cohen has to write into that check, do it. (laughs) Because this guy's that worth it. But the Astros being in the mix, it's a little concerning. Maybe. I mean, the Mets just did take... (laughs) Arguably, the top two prospects in the Astros' system, Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, depending on who you ask, there's some people that like Clifford more than Gilbert and called him their best prospect. Those people that said Gilbert was definitely the best prospect in their system. Regardless, they're both Mets now. Yet, if he's offered the president of baseball operations for the Astros, a franchise that... He previously previously worked for for you know, multiple seasons, a dynasty that he was, you know, part of setting up that has now fully realized themselves as that. Was a consistent winner. Maybe that's attractive to Stearns. On the other side of the coin, he's a New York native who could get the chance to completely author a story himself with this Mets team. I think the Mets job is more attractive. And I'm absolutely a homer when it comes to that uh, that uh, perspective. But at the same time, I'll lay it out. And I, I think I just alluded to it. What kind of personal narrative can David Stearns get from going to Houston? He might win a couple of rings, and that might be all fine and well for him. But are they going to be looked at as his rings entirely or you know, Jim Crane? the owner of the Astros, who, you know, tends to get a little bit involved in, in baseball operations as well. Meanwhile, Steve Cohen seems to very much be the type of guy that I wouldn't call him completely hands-off, but he certainly lets his baseball people run the show. Yes, you got Billy Epperlin in place, but on the Astros' side, was it Dana Brown's in place? It's similar situations because the roles are the same those two franchises who have been completely opposite from each other over the last decade. Yet Stearns could be the driving force in creating change and making the Mets a winner, or, you know, he can just continue to be part of the problem and the Mets could continue to be a loser. And that could be a stain on his resume where instead he can go to Houston and almost certainly keep winning. So it's going to be an interesting uh, negotiation process, but you know, I think, was it Peter Gammon said that this could be wrapped up in a couple of weeks? If that's the case, I'd feel pretty confident that it's wrapped up because the Mets get their guy. And, again, there's no bigger news that can come out now over the next couple of weeks and even months. Not that this is going to stretch out that long. But nothing will be more impactful for this franchise moving forward and David Stern is becoming the president of baseball operations. Now let's just see if Steve Cohen can get him to sign. Anyway, that's going to be all though for today's edition of Locked on Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show at Locked on Mets. Thank you for making Locked on Mets your first listen every day. If you want to catch every pitch of the Mets' hometown broadcast against the Nationals, you can do so with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Mets.